start day with well, coffee and politics. That's right, man. Well, Ryan, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you too, man. Episode whatever of Inhabit? Uh, eight, I think. Eight. Uh, um, uh, my girlfriend Alyssa told me last night. I'm like, how many episodes we've done? She keeps better track than I do. Dude, she that's said, amazing. You, We're almost up to a year. I know. It's crazy. And, you know, it, like, I say this to a lot of people these days, but I'm so surprised we haven't run out of things to talk about. It just shows sort of the quality of, uh, of our relationship and our friendship. We just keep yeah, going. Yeah, we keep going, man. And so much to talk about in the integral world, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is. And I don't think we're going to have any problem at all um, with today's topic, uh, yeah. which is going to be inhabit your politics. So let's maybe set this up a little bit, Ryan, because, sure. you know, we are um, obviously <laughs> we're a couple months into 2020. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that this decade is already kind of kicking the shit out of us in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, the water is getting, uh, is getting pretty heated. And um, so are the people. And, you know, with the, this election is underway. We just got through Trump's impeachment trial and acquittal from the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, so tempers are, I mean, high. And I think yeah. everyone is sort of out for blood this year. And um, that makes it really exciting. You know, I've never been into sports. I just, I never, I just, you know, when I was a kid, I felt like I had to make a choice between either sports or music. And I went with music. I don't know why it felt like that was a choice, but yeah, that's what it felt like. And then, you know, as, as sort of a a, a grown up, well, someday I'll be a grown up, but um, as an aspiring grown up, politics really became like my sports. You know what I mean? Like this is. I rally. And what's cool about politics as sports is like, there's like actual consequences you know, I mean, people yeah. actually live or die based on this, yeah. which um, I think makes it that much more exciting. <laughs> and I'm saying this in a yeah. sort of macabre way, but yeah. Um, yeah. it's more like a gladiator competition than a sport. Yeah, event. seems but like here I was we are, man. Answer. Yeah, how yeah. how are you feeling about this uh, political season? Actually, I mean, uh, it's interesting with the beginning of the year. What I've noticed, one, yeah, I've noticed some stuff being kicked up. You know, uh, in terms of the reactivity. Um, and this is just anecdotal, right? But like, uh, just what I see in my social networks that, um, yeah, like, you know, Trump, um, uh, getting off on the impeachment stuff, you know, like I see the reactivity, it get kicked up, even though everybody was expecting it. Some people, you know, the, the reactive mode starts mm-hmm. kicking in, but I've also seen people be um, more resilient. I'm using that term broadly, um, compared to 2017, there's certain things that just have stood out to me where that gives me hope a little bit, actually, that people aren't being as rocked as much. Everybody still is like fucking irritated and fed up with things for sure. Um, but it doesn't, it's not snowballing as much in an avalanche of mm. reactivity Com- comparatively. That's been, again, anecdotal. And I'm generalizing. So like, you know, you do a graph of like you plot numbers and you find the median average of that the median average of reactivity is better from what I experienced. Not that there are um, Yeah, but you know, like one example, and again, there's no, going to be no way for us to talk about inhabiting politics than, talk, than to reference some political things. Point here, though, is like, obviously people are going to have different opinions on some of these things. But, you know, like uh, when New York Times uh, chose two candidates uh, for their endorsement, Warren uh, the, and Klobuchar? Yeah, Warren and Klobuchar. It wasn't like, I saw a lot of people have similar reactions to me. It wasn't even about who they chose. It was just that it felt like such a bullshit move, right? Yeah. And it, but it's just two people. It's like, when we go, we have to pick one person. <laughs> right. Why don't you pick one? You know what I mean? And it felt like pandering and 
regardless, even if they're like your favorite candidates, I'm just like, pick one. But what I saw after that is people, like it was a blip, you know, people were like, that's bullshit. And then they moved on versus like getting riled up. And even with Trump, I mean, people are like, it's depressing to, to see that if, if you're not a Trump fan. Um, but I see people bouncing back more. I don't know. I feel like people feel more hopeful right now. I like is, your optimism. Either, you know, either you're right and well, there's reason to be optimist or your friends on Facebook are just a lot more mature than mine. No, well, let's say this Sorry, is like guys. hopeful with like, we're in a pit of shit, you know, and yeah. like, but we're swimming a little bit. Well, so, so like, it's, it's optimism in that, in that context. It doesn't feel awesome. And there's a lot of fear about what's going to happen. Like, is it going to, a lot of people are scared are we going to have yeah. trump for another four years or not what's going to happen to healthcare? because it's looking worse and worse every day yep. and like you mentioned in the uh, uh, recent facebook post that affects you and your family and your daughter very personally well so yeah so this so, is this is sort of the thing ryan is that you know there's a cliche that all politics are personal mm-hmm. and they are and for my family politics is tremendously personal so i mean you know my daughter got diagnosed literally within a month of obamacare getting enacted Mm. with its you know no lifetime caps which is huge Mm. for us if she ever needed a secondary transplant Mm -hmm. and uh with its protections against pre-existing conditions which basically you know without that she she would have struggled for her entire life yeah and you know, when I'm looking out at sort of the political arena right now, I see um, one party that is trying to enhance um, those benefits. Mm -hmm. And I see another that's trying to take them away. So for me, that makes this very, very personal. And I think the goal of our conversation today is to help you. Taking politics personally is a, or taking it, making it personal is good. Taking it personally is usually not so good. And this is, I think, sort of the needle that we have to try to figure out how to thread because we want yeah. to be more engaged. We want to be more activated. We want to be having more political conversations, yeah. but not just with the people who agree with us. I mean, if we're only talking to people who agree with us, which is what 90% of political conversations these days are, yeah. um, we're not moving the needle. We're not unfolding. We're, yeah. not, we're, not, you know, we're not actually cultivating any political will Right. to do anything all we're doing is just venting yeah. um, our own ideals projecting our own ideals which obviously the world is not going to live up to mm-hmm. no candidate will ever live up to those ideals and i think what it does is it just it, it breeds more cynicism that's the trap i think of 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 making this too personal is that it traps us into these these incredibly polarized views and when we're talking about polarization i just Mm. want to be clear when we're talking about polarization in politics we're talking about unhealthy unintegrated polarities so Mm. the woke crowd and the maga crowd are co-creating each other they're both responding to to the excesses of the other because this is an unintegrated polarity on the left and the right and it creates polarization um, yep. We want, I mean, polarization is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like when we're in a relationship, we want to polarize our masculine and mm-hmm. our feminine. We want to have these healthy expressions, which is what our government is supposed to be based on. And this is, this is, you know, a point I want to just make. I've been repeating this a lot over the last month and it's, it, it's because I, I think it's really important. The United States constitution, our government itself is basically a really sophisticated engine of enfoldment. It's yeah. brilliant when you, when you actually look at it that way. The, the Constitution was designed 
to take incompatible views and to, to suggest a process by which those views can be made compatible with each other. And sometimes that compatibility takes the place of compromise. Sometimes that compatibility is just like one side blows out the other and the Overton window shifts and society shifts with it. But either way, the idea of, of having this, this constitutional republic is that we have recourse to actually begin pulling together different views, different ideologies, different positions on all sorts of really, really complicated subjects mm-hmm. and to then enact that into law. So when our society is functioning, you know, in a really good, positive, healthy way and people are engaged and, you know, all that, uh, we, we see that kind of enfoldment. Mm-hmm. These days, <laughs> not so much. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that we're seeing right now is, which we saw in this impeachment hearing, is what happens when enfoldment completely breaks down on, at the level of government. Okay. Well, that's one thing. Okay. So government enfoldment is breaking our political enfoldment is breaking down. But where does that come from? That actually comes from the fact that we as individuals are having a harder time talking to each other than ever before in our history. Well, at least since the Mm. Civil War. Mm. And I think there's a reason for that. I think the Mm. reason for that is, and it's, it's, it's been recent. We have only recently fully entered the postmodern age. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, our actual media platforms in the lower right quadrant mm-hmm. made this shift. And about five years ago, that shift was sort of, sort of hit its tipping point, but made the shift from the old media model to the new internet media model. And here's the thing about the internet. It is the first media platform in the history of our society that has no built-in enfoldment mechanism at all. It just mm-hmm. says, here's a billion truths. Have fun making sense of it. Whereas, you know, before you used to have, you know, a, 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 a couple anchors who were, who were sort of the referees and the umpires who were, mm. this, is, this is newsworthy, this is not, this is more mm. true than this. Now mm. we're just sort of left to our own devices and we're, we're forced to sort of constellate a billion different competing data points that we find on the internet into something that resembles a, a true narrative. And that's... Yeah. That's really hard. And that's actually where I get a little bit more patience and compassion for people. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, there's sort of a more charitable interpretation of the George Carlin joke, which is um, just think of how misinformed the average person is. And now remember that 50% of people are even more misinformed than that. Mm-hmm. It gives yeah. you a little bit of compassion in terms of like, hey, we're yeah. all doing the best to, to come from our political compass. And right. you probably should listen to me because my political views are superior to yours. But, you know, <laughs> I, I get it. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's so much to unpack in all of that. And um, I've took a few different notes here on what you're saying. But uh, first of all, like we, we've come back to this over and over again, and I use the word embodiment in place of personal a lot of times, because I want to differentiate what it be, what's the difference between making politics personal and taking it personally? What's the difference? Because they're using the same word there. But I like to use an example. So if I or somebody sitting across from you, Corey, and your beautiful daughter, and we're talking about healthcare, mm-hmm. is that a different conversation if I'm sitting across from you? It doesn't matter. There could be a lot of different solutions, right? There could be different solutions to the, the struggles that you've experienced and that you're still experiencing, you know, to keep up with her health and making sure she's thriving, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a different conversation. That's embodied personal. If I'm going to sit with you and feel what you're feeling, and then respond to you directly, okay, 
who knows what my response is. Is it going to be, you know, upgrading Obamacare? Is it going to be Medicaid for all, Medicare for all? Like, who knows what it's going to be? But there should be some personal tie where I'm feeling and experiencing what you're experiencing, not the disembodied um, perspectives that can happen online where we're so far removed from each other where I can just read one quick passing post, your, you know, your words floating on, on, on a post and quickly detach from that and quickly just say, yeah, but here's what I think. And Corey just doesn't know what he's talking about, but to actually sit in the complexity of it all with even before responding and actually feel it personally to me, that's what it means to be personal mm-hmm. and that we don't do a lot. Taking it personally feels actually a little bit disembodied. There's some, there's some, there's some detachment. There's some fragmentation that happens in my experience where I'm not, I'm not attuned to the present moment or the present moment is so heartbreaking yeah. or so confusing that I go, I, I tap out, I can't do it. And, but that would be nice to acknowledge first. If I feel like I can't handle it, acknowledge that before you spout off you know, your ideas, take a moment to just acknowledge like, I'm fucking scared, I'm confused, my heart's breaking, and I don't know what to do. Right. Sit with that, acknowledge that, and then engage in a relational embodied way, and then bring to bear the perspectives of the mind, bring to bear the, these um, different solutions. So for me, that's, I don't know, that's an example. I'm not saying that's the only way to approach that, but there's got to be a shift, you know, between what we tend to do online, which is what you were pointing to when you talked just now and then on your, in your post online that there's uh, yeah, we lose track of yeah. that. Well, we talked about that before. We talked about that in the episode on it and having your digital life, but it's even more important here, you know? Yeah. And uh, you know, you talk about extremes like, you know, MAGA alt-right and, and super woke culture. There's this thing that feeds in on itself. Extremes, inspire more extremes and it just keeps pushing, you know, and you can see that if you forget about politics and just say like a relationship or romantic relationship or a friendship and somebody does something that hurts you and then you response, you're like, oh, fuck you. And then I'm going to go a little bit harder against the other way where I do see some things that you're off on, but I'm going to take it up a notch. Oh yeah. Well, now I'm going to take that up a notch. And again, right. and part of that feels like we've spouted out of control with the divisiveness where there is, there are real issues and there are real polarities that need to be integrated, but we are like so reactive that it's hard to even see what's going on. We're just too far gone in the reactivity. That being said, like I said at the beginning of the, of the show, I'm finding a little bit more, a little bit more groundedness creeping in. I say start sprinkling in where I feel better about it. Cause like, man, yeah, three years ago, I was like, oof, this is going to be rough. Like not just rough being in a, Trump presidency for me, but like just the reactivity was so intense. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more excited uh, that yeah. we can navigate it. But yeah, I also think um, throwing something else out here, development is such a huge part of this conversation. Oh, you think? Yeah, like it's, <laughs> you, it's just like no way to, to not talk about that because yeah, you're, you know, in your post, you talked about acknowledging our political compass. What does that mean? Exactly. And like in a Keegan terms, to me, honestly, it could start meaning fifth order, actually. Hmm. It could, depending, you know, it depends on how you mean that. Like in a socialized third order mind, our political compass is what the group's political compass is. I don't have my own political compass. I have, we have our political compass and we do see that out in the world, right? Mm -hmm. People sharing in groups, this is our political compass. And that happens, honestly, like in those extremes, right? So this, even though 
on the left, maybe we have people who are at a postmodern level of thinking or postmodern level relating to the world. When we get into reactivity, there's regression and there can become tribe-like uh, mentality where it's like, well, if I break away from this political compass, somehow I'm on the other side, right? right. If I criticize you, somehow I'm alt-right now. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and of course, alt writers have uh, that shared political compass. But then, you know, self-authoring is like, well, I can break away from the group and I can start authoring my own sense of my political compass. So there's that. But then there's like looking at it. How do I create my political compass? What are the mechanisms? What's the operating system by which my political compass is produced? Right. Which is a really difficult task to do. So it depends on like, who are we asking that of? And is it possible for that person or these people to do that task. So that's what I was wondering. Like you post that in your, in your post. And I'm like, maybe some people are capable of that, but maybe some people are not. And that's out of compassion. You know, that's not saying like, for it's not sure. a judgment. Um, for example, like I'm not expecting alt writers to be able to do that kind of thing. So my thing is like, well, how do I, how do we manage that? Because right. I don't, I, I'm not expecting that they're going to somehow just dirt, get with it. And right. <laughs> you know, um, see, I also, like it compassion for like what a difficult process it is to like question ourselves, you know, yeah. that it's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, it is. No, totally. And that, that was all beautifully said. And there's a, there's a few threads there I want to pick up on. Um, first off, when you're talking about, um, you know, making it personal versus taking it personally, yeah. I mean, really a lot of that comes down to, are you being reactive or are you being responsive? Yeah, that's you know how I, mean? I would say too. Yeah. And, and obviously, if you're being responsive, having skin in the game is, is what makes you that much more responsive. So when it comes to healthcare, yeah. we have skin in the game. Yeah. Everyone has skin in the game somewhere yeah. Yeah, in absolutely. the landscape. Yeah. Find out where that is. Find out where you're feeling that friction and mm -hmm. get invested. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Really get invested and make a push within your sphere of influence in whatever direction you think is best. But push for something. Don't push against something else, especially when that something else is other people in your Well, peers. this is a really another good point, Corey, you know? pushing against. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, this is the thing. And then, and then when you're talking about our political compasses, I mean, you know, I, one of the developmental aspects of that, I think, is in our last show together, we were talking about the difference between, for example, knowledge and yeah. wisdom. Right. And I think that when it comes to our political compasses, a lot of us get sort of intoxicated on knowledge. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know yes. what I mean? We have a very sort of refined and sophisticated understanding of the problems of neoliberalism and, you know, the issues of, of the regression to nationalism. And we, we create these like really intricate sort of, you know, architectured realities in our head mm -hmm. that sort of are, are this impressionistic view of what our political landscape really looks like. And we get so lost, I think, in those and those ideals and those visions mm -hmm. of what things are, what things should be. We get lost in an almost a narrative level. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Well, I don't support Pete Buttigieg because he's just another yeah. neoliberal and that fits yeah. into this whole yeah. meta narrative that I have yeah. around all of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when you get lost in the net meta narrative, you kind of start losing traction and you start, you know, disembodied um, yeah, yeah you you get really disembodied really and fast reactive. and you get really fragile really fast and we'll talk about fragility in a minute but um you know this this i think is one of the things that that an integral consciousness and just an integral disposition can can help us with where we don't have to yeah. react so strongly when when these things are coming up and when we're feeling our our buttons being pushed yeah and we need, you know, we need practices with that because that's the thing. It's, it's one thing that like, we're, we're basically stating what are the results we'd like to see. You always have to have practices like, well, how do I do that? How do I change, um, transform, heal, whatever. 
but you know, the pushing against a good example here. I love that you said pushing against uh, pushing for there's not, there's obviously we need deconstruction and construction, right? We need those things. Um, but we've interested in, we're in a very weird time where we have, we're still needing to deconstruct a lot of systems, but a lot of us are aware of that, like of systems that don't work, like healthcare just doesn't work for most people in the United States, regardless of, of what opinion you might have on like uh, what it should be. Mm-hmm. We're kind of like, we need to pull this thing apart and reconstruct it. Yeah, credit. But like, if your orientation is always like, what am I against? What am I against? What am I against? Oh, Think, imagine that, forget politics. Just imagine like that's how you are with your, with a close friend. It's just like, goodness, wouldn't that be grading after a while? Like, what are you for? Like there needs to be some balance here. So that doesn't even work in a personal relationship, let alone okay. with society. And, you know, take an example of the politics and the Democrat, uh, uh, the candidates on the Democrat side. That's one interesting thing. Like when I look at it, I go, wow, this is such a better round of candidates this time. Like, Thank wow, goodness. a bunch of grownups. Yeah. I'm like, thank goodness. And I have my picks, you know what I mean? But I can go through every one of them and, and see something of like, of how that would be, this candidate would be personally relevant. Like, you know, um, with, uh, my gay friends, they're like, Oh my gosh, look at this guy who's in the front light. Right. It's like, I feel for them. Cause I go, wow, how cool is that? That Pete Buttigieg is up there. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren, she's up there. It's like another possibility for a woman to be president. I can go down the whole list and keep doing that of saying like, how is this how, imagining people I know and what they really feel in their hearts and minds that this candidate is up on the stage. Great. Yeah. Now I'm going to have my pick. You know what I mean? Who's going to be my top candidate, but I'd rather focus on like, gosh, this is so much better than <laughs> three years ago, four years ago, you know? Yep. So this is a shift, you know what I mean? Cause I think that's the thing is like, it's tiring and exhausting. Yeah, people get exhausted deconstructing things where that's happening more than constructing. Well, and that's and that's sort of you know. So I, people watch this show and other shows that I'm a part of know that I'm not a big fan of Trump. Yeah. Um. I I I you know I I think he's probably the most <laughs> incompetent president that we've had in history. However, <laughs> I do think he was a corrective move in so oh, yeah, many ways. Sure. He. I will say this about Donald Trump. He is a transformational president in a way that Hillary Clinton never would have been. It's not the transformation I like, but he was, when it came down to the two of them, yeah. the irony was he was the progressive candidate. He was the candidate who wanted systems to change. Hillary was the candidate who wanted systems to stay the same. I mean, progressive in the integral sense, not in the sort of the standard, you know, yeah, basically going to change what was existing. Yeah, know, exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. and for Trump's supporters, they saw him as, a, as a, a, an agent of transformation. They said, you know, so much of this is fucked and needs, you know, we need to hit yeah. it with a wrecking ball. And that's, yeah. how, that's in a lot of ways what I see Trump's administration as. He is yeah. a wrecking ball. I yeah. am horrified by what, yeah. you know, Betsy DeVos is doing in the Department of Education. I'm also horrified that she shares a name with me. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> totally not related. If I, if I was, whatever, man. probably have more resources than it did. I blame you. <laughs> but, you know, I also look at that. I'm like, well, it's not like this thing was humming along before she came along, right? No, no, Betsy yeah, DeVos yeah. is just another wrecking ball that's going to well, actually force society to transform. And that is, I think, the, the, the positive yeah. of, of the Trump administration. It's well, bloody in the process, but, yeah. you know, it's going to make things change. And the, the, just, just the final point, yeah. I just want to say that going back to my earlier, what I was saying earlier about, the, you know, we're, we're now fully in the postmodern age. Donald Trump is our first postmodern president. 
Yeah. He is not postmodern in any of his lines of development. Yeah. None of his right. lines come even close to that altitude, but yeah. he is the way he was nominated, elected, the way that the political will behind him was generated, all of the he was the first internet president. He was the first yeah. postmodern president. Yeah. Um and then just something real quick Ryan, I appreciate what you were saying earlier when you when you're talking about um when you're talking about issues, how important it is to have access to perspectives, right? And yeah. how that sort of brings its own natural embodiment because you can yeah. attune with a person. You can see, you know, pain on their face in a way that you can't on Facebook. And it, it was sort of yep. just kind of proving my point because, you know, you yep. scroll through Facebook and you see like this heart wrenching story that, you know, someone like me might say their family. And the next one you have a picture of riots and, you know, yeah, God yeah. knows where. And then you have, you know, someone making fun of Greta. And then you have yeah. someone bitching about Trump. And all of these things are just sort of weighed equally in my stream, right? There's no. There's no prioritization. There's nothing that says this is more important than this. Yep. It's just this, this but you know, river of crap yeah. and everything is weighed the same. And then, so what yeah. does this do to our shape of, of mind? Well, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, what you just said is also related to something else that you um, said earlier from me. Um, one is that like, okay, again, doubling down on growing up, like we see all these things going through Facebook, right? There's something that I've started seeing recently that makes me like partially inspired that we may be finally coming close to rounding a corner, um, some kind of corner. I don't know what it is, but it feels like doing something better than before. And that is us growing up because it's constantly like, I think on the, honestly, there's a sense that I'm, as I'm feeling into it, like I'm, I'm feeling like victims because in part that's true, right? Like it's just sort of like if you're having if you have shitty healthcare and you don't have any other options, it's like, that, is that your fault, Corey? That like, like, yeah, you did that? No. So we all have this feeling of like all these bigger forces at play that make us uh, feel victimized, which is true. You know, at the same time, taking ownership of the we that we are a part of, the biggest we, like you can say, well, I'm a we, if me and Corey, Corey, we're a we and I love our we and I'm not part of any we bigger than this, right? Of my, of my close friends, but that's not true. You know what I mean? I signed up for Facebook with no questions asked. I was posting. Nobody forced me to do that. I participate in that. You know what I mean? And so like Donald Trump too, like I didn't think he was going to get elected, but I remember saying like, if he did, he was going to be a medicine that we needed. Mm -hmm. That was the thought I had before he got elected. And to see Trump as an individual, okay, that's one thing, but to see him as a symptom of our society, as like, and owning that in a body way that like, listen, it is not a hundred percent true to say that we're not all part of some sort of we <laughs> That's right. that is in this together. You know what I mean? And so how does this affect us? And that to me relaxes thing. It sucks, you know, but it, it's a little bit, it chills me out. And I also feel like I have a better perspective on um, or a better way of, of responding. And now with growing up, um, you know, when we see all the stuff going through Facebook, at some point we have to take ownership and decide we're going to do something different with what the hell we see. Mm. Stop waiting for Facebook to change. Stop waiting for somebody else to do something and change the internal relational way that we are relating to it. And I've started seeing that a little bit. So for example, the New York times, right. Doing that kind of thing or Trump impeachment or uh, what else freaking happened? Uh, oh, Bernie Sanders and Warren, that little, that thing that happened there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the Iowa caucuses, right? There's all these things, one after another, of just like controversial things or shit show pieces. But it's like, what are we going to do with it? 
like, are we just going to be blown over? And this is what Trump was doing back in the day, right? When it was first he came in office, I smelled in the first few months, he was like, oh, if I say something that really piss off liberals, uh, progressives, gets them in all out of tissy. Then he was like, he was winning. That was for him. It's like, oh, great. If like a thousand, hundred thousand people start being pissed off at me, it was his game, right? Yep. That was his game. It's like he won when that reaction was right. happening. And it's not the same thing of being like tolerating him, but it was just like, what are we going to do that's different? Are we going to be blown over when some bullshit happens? Or are we going to stand our ground and say like, nah, forward, I'm going forward. I'm going forward for something. And I'm not going to take the bait of the reactivity. I'm not going to take the bait of the mindless scrolling on Facebook that's throwing me all these random images. I'm done. Dude, Anyways. I love it. You're talking <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm getting all, I'm getting all stiff over here, man. <laughs> no, I've, seen what, it. I've what, seen it a little bit more. Yeah. Well, here, well, here's what I love is that you are right now in this moment demonstrating an anti-fragile view, oh, and yeah, everything that you're that you're you're describing right now comes down to these three concepts of fragility, resilience, and anti-fragility. And so recently, uh, Diane Hamilton, Gail Hochashka, Rob McNamara. Mm. And I did a show about anti-fragility when it comes to climate change. And it was mm. a really, really rich show. And just to sort of, you know, kind of catch people up to speed a little bit, the concept of anti-fragility is typically presented as one in a triad. So you've got fragility, resilience, and then anti-fragility. And before the show, Ryan, you and I were talking about how unfortunate the name anti-fragility is because mm. I think it sort of... Uh, skews our, our, our enactment of the term a little bit, but right. the idea being, I talked to Bina about this, you know, I was like, Bina, I don't, I don't think this is actually a, a triad. This feels actually more like a polarity to me. It feels like we have a polarity between fragility and resilience, and then anti-fragility is the integration yeah. of those two polarities. So let me just, you know, kind of real briefly talk about what, you know, real brief definitions of each of those. So a fragile system is a system where if it receives a system shock, it falls apart. A resilient system is one that if it receives a system shock, it stays the same, right? It re-entrenches. An anti-fragile system is the only system that actually evolves, that responds to system shock by getting better. And then mm. by reducing fragility. And this is what I see you doing in real time when you're talking about even just how you relate to your own Facebook feed. And sort of the little micro practices that we can do to sort of readjust, find our center again, and enact this in a deeper sort of more good faith kind of way. Because that's, yeah. I think, a resource, a precious resource we're running out of is good faith. Now, when it comes to, you know, th this idea of anti-fragility, you know, a lot of things are beginning to snap into focus for me. So mm. when I look, so first, let me just say, all three of these exist at every stage. Right, you have amber level fragility, you have amber level resilience, you have amber level anti-fragility. Same with orange, same with green. There is a such, believe it or not people, there's a such thing as green resiliency. It exists. <laughs> yeah. um, but when it comes to how we've sort of polarized, right, in terms of these big blocks of voters in our body politic, the left have become the party of fragilistas. Mm. The right have become the party of resilience. Now, it's a backwards resilience, as I see it. But, you know, as I said in that show with Diane, bringing a snowball into Congress and saying this is proof that climate change isn't real is its own kind of resilience. It's, it's, a, it's a betrayal of fact. It's a denial of facts. I'm going to mm -hmm. keep my view no matter what the world, you know, how, how the world yeah. presents itself. Right. To me. Right. 
right. that's resilience. Oh. And we're seeing how pathological both resilience and fragility are in our politics. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're really reaching for right now, especially on the left, what mm -hmm. we're really reaching for now is a genuine anti-fragile response because the left, the green altitude in general, is really, really good at sniffing out fragility. It mm -hmm. sees fragility when it looks at the world. It says, look at these people being oppressed. Look at these people being marginalized. Look mm -hmm. at these people being mm -hmm. victimized. And oftentimes mm -hmm. they're completely correct, right? The problem is the left has taken on that fragility to such an extent into like its own internal political compass that all it sees is fragility. Mm -hmm. And its only solutions are solutions that come from a place of fragility. So it's things like, uh, outrage culture, uh, cancel culture, safe mm. spaces, all of these are expressions of fragility. Mm. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, you go to places like 4chan and these troll factories. Mm. The only reason why these have had any sway in our politics is because they're, they're triggering fragility. And it works. Just like you said, Donald Trump would come out. He knows if I, I'm going to say something that is going to get the left in an uproar. And it's mm. going to make the entire right laugh at them, kind mm. of rightfully so in a certain mm. kind of way, because it's like, why do you have to be so goddamn fragile mm -hmm. about everything? Now, mm. here's the thing, though, and, and here's, I think, the important difference between anti-fragility and resilience. Mm. Resilience, and I think a lot of integral people even make this mistake when they're talking about anti-fragility. A lot of people are enacting anti-fragility in a resilient way. So they're saying resilience means, no, I need to take care of myself. I need to take care of my family. We just need to sort of like, you know, hunker down in a certain kind of way. And I say, well, no, this sort of isolationist approach, either from an individual or from, you know, a, a, a nation like the United States, that is not anti-fragile because there is an ethics of anti-fragility, which basically says thou shalt not have anti-fragility at the expense of someone else's fragility. So, mm -hmm. so many of the resilience moves are actually creating more fragility in the world. Mm -hmm. And that freaks green out, yeah, that freaks yeah. the left out that much more. Right. They get more reactive. So the right gets more reactive. And we have this, this unhealthy polarization that exists between yeah. broken fragility, broken resilience, and like little to no genuine anti-fragility to be found. Other than, mm -hmm. hopefully, in this conversation and what I see coming from you right now. Yeah. Thanks for breaking all that down. Yeah. I'd... That's a great summary. I mean, uh, I, I think that is the, you know, we say integral, but to integrate the embodied sensitivity, the relational personalizing sensitivity to what's happening, right? Like, let me be present to what's happening in your life and other people's lives. Let me really feel that because with that, I can have the most rich possible field of information to respond to, but then I have to step up and actually respond and uh, and make distinctions, make key responses of what to pursue, what to not pursue, what to encourage, what to not encourage. Um, but yeah, enfoldment, right. And, and, and all the things we've been saying here basically means getting out of reactivity. It doesn't mean dumping those qualities because you said like, for example, a sensitivity of, of, of fragility is really useful because we find out who's suffering the most, you mm -hmm. know, who needs help. So we want to include that quality, mm -hmm. you know, and we want to include resilience so that way we can enact and can actually have responses, you know, because if not, it's, there's, there won't be any change. Yep. So again, I would just to keep circling and bookmarking uh, the need to practice, to be able to cultivate those things within ourselves as well. And together, you know, practices can happen individually and collectively, but, you know, for example, 
I can practice on my own to, to reset myself and to center and to look at these things in myself. But also like, for example, Corey, you and I can practice together. You, I can have that experience together. You know, what's with uh, someone who feels safe, right? So you and I, we feel safe with each other. So we can kind of dive in this and find out how this is showing up for us. There has to be some sort of hands-on personal practice, especially with politics, because it goes so dang quick to what I think about the world. Right. And what you think might actually, maybe it's really accurate. Maybe mm -hmm. you're right. But the skillful means in terms of enacting it is a whole different key, a whole different Dude. thing. Just because you have an idea does not mean you can implement. Yep. It doesn't mean that you can communicate in a way that will have success. Stating an idea is fairly useless these days, I think, because somebody's going to say the wise thing. I don't know if there's anybody out there. Where I'm like, oh, that only that person ever said that. Right right yeah dude hardly this this the skillful means is such that's sort of what i was heading towards earlier when i was saying that yeah. people get so caught up in these meta narratives yeah. that they never actually end up putting their hands on the wheel right yes that be, be, so in other words what's more important that you have a candidate who agrees with your meta narrative right but loses or the candidate who differs from your meta narrative but elects the next two Supreme Court justices. What is right. more, what is ultimately going to get you closer yeah. to your goals as yeah. a society? You need yeah. fucking strategy, people. You can't just like, oh, well, you know, Buttigieg isn't anti-neoliberal enough for me. Well, yeah. do you know how hard it is to transform an individual, yeah. let alone an entire society? I mean, these are not day one. You got to think more strategic. You got to think like, I want the person who wins, who can ensure that our Supreme Court is not going to be a conservative court or that, or that, you know, that the GOP is going to continue to elect all of these 30 year old, uh, you know, judges who've never tried a case in their life, just yeah. like hundreds, thousands of them across the country. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if these things matter to you, then you've got to get strategic real yeah, fast. And this is another right. symptom of fragility, Ryan, is that what mm. does a fragile system do when it, when it receives any pressure at all? It falls apart. What are we seeing happening on the left? It's falling apart. It's fragmenting. It's splintering. It turns mm -hmm. into these little tribal rivalries where it's mm -hmm. like, do Sanders supporters hate Buttigieg supporters more than they hate what they see happening with this is, but this goes back to very simple make it simple and personal first like yeah because you're talking about like oh how simple is it to solve the world's problems oh it's no problem it's easy just write down a few ideas make sure enough people agree to you and then it's all going to happen i think we've just determined that that's not the case the why we are where we're all right now is because shit is not that simple right um but right. simplifying it for you for you as an individual at first and getting personal you know, like that's like whether it's like talking to somebody who has serious health concerns, you know, and feeling that personal discussion before you just blurt out your idea. Um, yeah. It. Gosh, there's so many to, to, to say about all this, but I think I want to make sure to bring it back to say, like, we've been throwing out perspectives, but what we're talking about here is the process for that. In particular, this show, like, how do we come to our perspective? So regardless of whether uh, one agrees with some of our thoughts about particular political issues or candidates, that's a little beside the point at the moment. It's not completely beside the point because everything matters. What, what, right. What's going on matters. It has serious consequences. So we have to come together and have like real discussions about who we're voting for and why we're voting for them and what policies we're voting for. We can't not talk about it, but we are so it, it, those conversations can happen so quickly yeah. that 
it, it uh, seems reasonable to slow things down a little bit in, in some practices, right? Like taking moments to slow it down. And you know, like you made a, the distinction about, well, what's more important, my meta-narrative and my candidate or serious things like two Supreme Court candidates, you know, being decided. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's like getting real. And like the example I give, a lot of people I think feel as if the house were on fire, right? So let's just say that the house is burning down. What, what's your priority there? What's your strategy there? Are you going to, are you, are you, and this again is like, it's leaning into my particular perspective. So I'm going to own that. Um, but I clearly think it's a valid one. Are you going to be talking about who's using the best fire hose? You know, maybe if, if someone's using a garden hose and somebody else has a big fire hose, okay, great. But if, you know, or the guy dumping gasoline, yeah. you know, it's like, if you don't see it that way, okay, then the, the, the conversation's stupid. You don't think that the house is burning down, but I think most people feel the world is shaky, you know? So it's getting crystal clear in an embodied way. Like, what do you actually feel and think about the world? If it's a shit show and it's on fire, then isn't that going to influence how you vote? So for example, for me, clearly in the primaries, I'm going to vote from the candidate I like the best, but I'm damn sure voting for any of those Democrats. I don't care who it is because I like you shared in your post, there are serious concerns that you have for your own personal life, your family and the world where it's like, you know, I'll take any of them over the, the gasoline on the, on the house. Yep. Yep. Well, and I want to, I want to double down on a point you were making earlier, Ryan, which is that, you know, it's, it's my hope that um, someone from any political background can watch our conversation right now and hopefully get something out of it and get some distinctions, whether you agree with our politics yeah, yeah, yeah. or not. That's super important. If you're a Trump supporter and you're, watching us. Yeah, you might hear me say that I think Trump is a malignant narcissist, right? But I know you're resilient enough not to tune out. I don't know that a Bernie Sanders supporter is not whether he's resilient enough to continue tuning in if I start talking smack about Bernie. So again, this gets us down to I'm I'm glad Trump supporters have at least the resilience that they do because I know that when I start talking smack about Trump, they're not going to just tune me out. Um, So I Thank you guys for, for, for paying attention because I know there's a lot of people out there who have different political views than I do. I think you're wrong, but I respect <laughs> the fact that you have different views. Yeah, well, I think for me with that, it's interesting. So like I have people who are my closer circles who uh, like family members or family members of friends who voted for Trump, all right? Not, not in my inner friend circle, but uh, the family, you know? And um, the compassion part, for me is to feel into like they have lives, they have needs and desires and fears. And I remember that. So like, I'm not going to just like throw them out in the in, in, of life and say, I don't care about you because that to me only, only strengthens that extreme. Yep. Like if, if somebody feels shunned completely, is that going to help them change their, their perspectives? Is that going to help them grow? No, it's not yeah. just matter of fact. Um, but I also be really clear about like when things matter. So like if the house is on fire, I'm not going to be like, Hey, you know, if you want to throw gas in the, on the house and, or, you know, want to yep. put it out, well, who's to say, no, I'm not going to be that, that relativistic. I'm like, no, that, that sucks. And I'm going to do whatever I can to stop what I see as being greatly harmful, but I'm not going to talk. I don't have to toss that person out and their needs. Like right. actually, I think there's ways to integrate those person's needs yeah. in healthier ways. So that way that's an optimistic uh, approach, you know? Well, those are the two steps. I mean, the first yeah. step is non-exclusion. Be open to other perspectives that aren't yours. Great. I'm open to them. I'll listen to any, I'll listen to anyone disagree with me, right? Yeah. I will listen. Please make an argument. I will listen to it. I will take it seriously as long as it's presented in good faith. But then yeah. the next step is enfoldment. 
The next yeah. step is I don't just st stay there and like, oh, well, everyone has their perspectives and your yeah. truth is no better than your. No, fuck you. That's your how truth we got. Is better that's partly how. Truth. That's how we got here. Partly, it's yeah, so exactly. hard, it's so weird that that. And and we live yeah. in this this again. It's 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 part of this this uh, postmodern platform that we all live and breathe on right now. Yeah. Is that it? It's ripe for false equivalencies. And this is again the thing that gives me compassion is that at the end of the day, I remember that all of our political views, right? We treat each other's political views like this is the ultimate distillation of your values and your yeah, worth right. as a human being. And right. if you don't agree with me, then, you're, then you have no value and you have no worth as a human being, right? You're a sub whatever I am. And yeah. that's Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I have to remember is that at the end of the day, our political views is basically each of our individual ways of answering a question that we first answered when we were eight years old. If you were a king for the day, what would you do? And guess what? All yeah. of us have different responses to that. All of them are painfully misinformed yeah. because it's so complex. So any political narrative that we have in our head is going to be this oversimplification, no matter how bright you are, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's at the end of the day, we're all squabbling on the playground over, you know, yeah. well, well, if I was king for a day, I would do this. Well, yeah, fuck you. Well, if I was king for a day, I would do that. <laughs> right. Basically, I like that you phrased that way. And I like that question because to sit with it in a really honest way, again, drop into your lived experience, into your body and say, okay, no, legitimately, I'm going to be king of the world for the next day or the next month. What am I going to do? Because- and if you really feel like, no, what I say and what I do is going to be enacted, how do I feel about that? Because if you're actually feeling that, there's no way that it's, it's, it, the, the, I believe that the response is like, feel good, totally fine, no problem, I'm not worried. I call bullshit on that. Right. Because it's different being like, oh, writing on Facebook where you're not owning the reality of what it would be to be king of the world for a day. Um, but if you can put yourself in that position, and the immense complexity and uh, that's involved in how many people's lives are being impacted by what you're doing. Wouldn't that change a little bit about how you're processing information, how you're experiencing things, what your response is? I would mm -hmm. assume it was going to be, and if it doesn't, I don't think you should be king of the world. <laughs> that would be my response. Right. So I think actually, I loved your question. I think people just, I would invite people to lean into it fully and would it change how you speak? Would it change how you relate, relate to people? Because again, if I'm king of the world, and I'm sitting with you and your family, Corey, surely some of my uh, thinking is going to be impacted. Right. I'm surely not going to walk in your living room and be like, Corey, listen up. Here's the deal. I got all the answers. I'm just here to let you know. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't think that's how it's going to go. Well, because disembodiment leads to dehumanization. And we saw this, you know, I, I have a vivid memory in, um, uh, at a Ron Paul rally, I think. Yeah, it was a Ron Paul rally. And uh, the question of, you know, this is when healthcare was being vigorously debated. And uh, the question that was, that was uh, brought into the town hall was, you know, so someone shows up and is about to die and they can't afford their medical bill. What do you do? And someone yells out, let him die. Yeah. And everyone claps. Ugh. And that's when I was just like, we've, we've, we've really gotten to a place, haven't we? Yeah. We've really yeah. gotten to a place yeah. where we can circle up into these little insular clusters, right? And we can just dehumanize everyone else. We actually have the, the internet gives us all the tools and resources we need to dehumanize everyone who doesn't share the exact same values as ours. Because yeah. we forget, especially when we're coming from, you know, first year, we forget that I'm not seeing your values as they are. 
I'm seeing your values as filtered through my own. And if my own values are still stuck in first tier, well, guess what? One of us is right and one of us is wrong and it's not going to be me, buddy. Yeah. Right. right? Yep. So when you hit integral, it's not that you start agreeing with all views, Jesus, no, but you start making room for all views. And that's different. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. I, think. I think that is the, the, and the, what we talk about integral is that we're integrating, um, you know, that green value of, of saying like, no, I'm going to, that's a, that's an order of complexity uh, higher and more complicated to say, oh, I realize that I generate my own perspectives and I filter things. That's an important thing to realize. It doesn't then therefore deconstruct and dissolve reality and like, oh, well, there's, there's not like a point of reference that we can hold on to. But mm-hmm. it's important to acknowledge that. And then, yes, I can make sense of it and I can take action and I can respond to it. And I, that may be me disagreeing with you. It may even be like, I want to also acknowledge that like there's some things that are intolerable that we create laws for, right? Right. And I'm, but that's, so I don't want anything I've said to negate that, that um, like we might have a law and says, listen, yeah, this is how it is for you. And um, yeah, you can't do these things. We're not going to allow this to be done anymore. And I think that's a lot of those kind of things are going to happen in the future here that we're going to create a bunch of new laws, a bunch of new uh, rights and wrongs, a new level of right and wrong that will enact. Um, but it's like, how do we get there? Mm-hmm. How does that, what is that process like? And how do we treat each other, whether we're on the right side or the wrong side, you know? Right. It, We've it, always it, thought about that as a country. We've always thought about that. It's not, we don't, we're not just out, if somebody breaks a law, we like guillotine them. You know, right. we, have a, we have a justice system because we say it matters. As nice as that might be sometimes. As <laughs> much as we might want that. Like, hey, is a guillotine really that bad? Yeah. Well, and all of which is, is helping us generate a genuine, integral, anti-fragile response that does not deny fragility. And again, I, I, I just want to double click that because it's so, yeah. my daughter, for example, is, has a, exists in a condition that um, introduces a lot of fragility into her life. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's my job as her father to help her cultivate an anti-fragile response to her own physical mm-hmm. fragility. That's yeah. my job. My job isn't to make her afraid of the world, to make yeah. her afraid of going outside, mm-hmm. afraid of infections and germs. and all. Mm-hmm. That would be the fragile response, right? Mm-hmm. My anti-fragile response is like, no, go out there and play in the fucking dirt so that your immune system has something to work with here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good metaphor. <laughs> so, and it's, well, and that's, that's sort of one of the points of, of, the, of anti-fragile is that, you know, we see a lot of packaging that says things like, you know, handle with care and, you know, yeah. fragile and all that. We never see a package that says, beat the shit out of me because I want to grow. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, it's interesting to see that like we're trying, it seems like we're trying to figure out what that balance is in a new way. Like, again, all this feels like orders of magnitude of difference. You know, it's not a simple rearrangement of of life where like you talk about children, like playgrounds, like we know that uh, when we were kids, it was just like cold metal bars. And then if you fell off and it was just like the worst rocks ever, it was just like, you know, like, Oh, that sucks. Break an arm or whatever. And then that's why uh, we still have character. Yeah. So how we built character, <laughs> but then, you know, we moved to things like uh, spongy sort of, uh, um, I don't know you call them playground things where like if you fall off, it's got a little bounce to it. And then maybe it's gone. People thought it went too far. Like the whole thing you can never, there's no risk ever. And then I've seen, the playgrounds created where it's like they literally have like rusty nails. Yep. It's like a junkyard where I'm like, that might be a little too far. Like, I don't think we, <laughs> like we need to introduce, uh, you know, people needing to get shots from the doctor after playing on the playground. So it's funny. Like we see that we're like, it feels like we're bouncing around. I'm like, where do we want to land with this? 
and the old poles don't seem to work. I don't know. There's something about that to me. Like we're, we're trying to evolve here a bit and yep. it's complicated. <laughs> yep. yep. No, it's totally true. And it's, uh, you know, all of that. And it's Ken, Ken has been talking about this for decades. I mean, Ken has, you know, in yeah. a lot of ways built his career contrasting the integral response to this fragile green response that wants to bubble wrap reality, that wants to, you know, make absolute sure that nobody ever deals with any real, you know, problems in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an anti-growth mindset. That's, I think, ultimately the problem with fragility is it's an anti-growth mindset. Yeah. Um, same with resilience. Resilience is also an anti-growth mindset. I refuse to change despite what reality tells me. Um, I figure in the final leg here, Ryan, we can yeah. um, get a little even more real, mm. a little bit more uh, accountable. Yeah. Who are you liking for 2020? Who are you following and why? I, I got clear on this again. Uh, so my clear priority is that... Um, and again, this is not how I want the world to be, but it's, it's definitely not Trump. That's my priority. More than anything, it's not Trump because I consider the house is burning and my, my goal is the house stop burning because I want there to ha- be a house to, to do something with. Now, in the primaries though, so this is like this whole polarization, like either or, it's not either or for me. That's my end goal. But right now, because we have primaries and we can vote for who we're going to vote for, I'm going to prioritize that. For me, I'm Bernie. I like, I like Bernie a lot. Um, and the thing is, is like, I, I like, I like Buddha judge in different ways. I like Yang. I, I, I like Warren. I like her a tiny bit less. She bothered me in, in recently, but I was all, she was my number one actually for a little bit. I was all in on her, but Bernie, here's what I'll say too. I, I've heard people talk, especially maybe among status quo Democrats and maybe even on the Republican side about, oh, we don't want to do anything too radical. Donald Trump is our fucking president. So we're, we're beyond the choice of like, let's do something radical. We're in the midst of it. And like, I don't see any way out of it. We're not at a point of like, it's, it's kind of rocking, but not stable. So maybe we can stabilize it. Everything has already destabilized. So for me, I'm interested in a more radical candidate and it feels just clear that that's, it's either going to stay radical in one direction or the other. Right. So I'm not so afraid and I don't buy the rhetoric for me about like, oh, I don't want to have somebody who's, who's too radical, which is why I like, I like um, different things about the candidates I mentioned, but yeah, I like I like Bernie overall. He's he's been the same guy like forever. He's yeah, got yeah. massive integrity. He has internal integrity. Like that's the thing I feel about. It's just like he's the most consistent candidate. I like um, that his his focus is on healthcare and the economy because I think the economy affects everybody. Yep. I think it affects all races, all identities, and that if that gets fixed, we're gonna have um, better issues. But I like things. You know, like I think we need a UBI. You yep. know, like that's gotta happen. At or at some least point. we will. Uh, we definitely need a friggin' woman to be president at some point. It's just like we're way overdue for that, to say the least. But I just want anything to move forward. If it's moving yep. forward, like I think you were indicating in your post, then I'm going to be happy. I'd be very disappointed with a Biden. Like that, that kind of would really bum me out, to be honest, because I'm like, it's better than Trump. Yep. He's better than Trump, but oh, it feels more status quo stuff. You well, know, so, and, it, and, it, and yeah. it's indicative to me when I hear things like Hillary Clinton say, nobody likes Bernie and he sucks. And even Obama saying that, I'm like, what the hell is this about? Like, I don't care that you like Bernie. Like if they wanted to support somebody else, it's fine. But I'm like, you two poo-pooing Bernie smells like a status quo kind of thing. And I'm not a person to use that word that much, but I'm like, okay. Well, you definitely see it in the media too. I mean, the media, media, Bernie a little, I mean, even Chris Matthews is like, 
and Chuck Todd, he's in trouble right now for comparing Bernie supporters to brown shirts. And yeah, you know, and this, I know people have criticism. I get it. Like people are gonna have criticism of everybody, and that's fine for me. And I don't think any candidate's perfect, but uh, that's my favorite. He's my favorite. I, th- I think it's I think it's a great response. And and I'm um you know I've been uh I've got an Elizabeth Warren sticker on my car. I've been a big Elizabeth Warren since uh, since I first was introduced to her in 2008. Mm, yeah. Uh, when she took over the uh, Consumer Protections Bureau, when she when she innovated the Consumer Protection Bureau, so I've been tracking her ever since her first appearance on her first awkward appearance on The Daily Show all those years ago, and um, I've just always really really enjoyed her, hmm. and I know that when it comes to our political competitions, um, it it's uh, it requires more than ideas. I think I think Elizabeth has the best ideas on up there. I think Elizabeth is the person who can actually unite the Bernie crowd and the Biden crowd, right? Mm. However, because she speaks both languages. Mm. However, uh, as you know, we get closer and closer to sort of this critical mass, um, I'm pushing my chips towards Bernie right now. And there's a few reasons for that. So first off, um, it drives me nuts that the left does not understand what I'll just call the art of the deal. Hmm. The left always wants to start with a compromise, hmm. which is why they keep getting dragged to the right because hmm. the right makes no qualms yeah, yeah. about saying, no, we're going to give you the most extreme version possible, knowing that when this turns out, we're going to more get our way than not. Right. Yeah. The left says, well, you know, this is how the conservatives are going to react. The left always allows the right to frame every issue for them. Right. Yeah. And I'm a little bit tired of that kind of, that yeah, kind of I'm, I'm with you. I need more fight in my politics. So that's what I felt too. Yeah. I'm moving my chips towards Bernie because I think that right now in 2020, it's very clear in terms of both these big meta narratives that we're all sort of, you know, have banging around yeah. uh, and on this sort of like bottom up strategy level, Yep. We need a transformation candidate. Yeah. We clearly need a transformation candidate. You know, I, my overall sort of gestalt here is that we are in zombie neoliberalism land right now. Yeah. So just to, you know, kind of back this up, we, when we had laissez-faire economics um, in the 1800s, that crashed and burned leading up to the 1929 stock crash. And when that crashed, we had a new comprehensive economic model ready to go. And we moved into Keynesian economics, which created this big burgeoning middle class and, um, you know, more uh, fair, more equitable wealth distribution. Um, and, you know, America was thriving as for a number of other reasons, too. We were also the only superpower left on the scene after World War II, which gave us, you know, manufacturing edge. But all of these things resulted in Keynesian economics being, you know, a really productive, positive sort of economic force for us. It crashed on the rocks in the late 1970s. And then along came a new economic model. The conservatives had one ready to go, a new comprehensive economic model called neoliberalism, right? And this was brought in by Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. And that has been basically the last 40 years. And when, when liberals, like really far left liberals complain about, you know, sort of the centrist moderate Democrats and all that, I think what they forget is that the Democrats had to adapt to neoliberalism in the 90s in order to survive. That's yeah, why Bill sure. Clinton was seen as this big centrist. I mean, liberalism was a dirty word after Ronald Reagan. There was yeah. 12 years of Republican presidency because liberalism yeah. had been so delegitimized in the public mm-hmm. eye, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so, so fast forward 40 yep. years, mm-hmm. the, the, the crash uh, during the 
um, during the Bush administration, which Obama then inherited. Mm-hmm. Obama, to his failing, but also I give him some, some space here, he didn't try to dramatically transform the economic system. No. He actually said, well, he actually, in a way, took an anti-fragile response and said, well, this, this actually creates an opportunity for us to at least fix these things. But as a brand new president who's inheriting the problem, uh, there's, you know, and with a, with a Republican Congress that fucking hates me, by the way, and won't work with me at all, there's only so much I can do, so let's do healthcare. Well, yeah. a lot of people can look back on that and be like, you know, you really should have, this is the failing of the left, is they didn't have the next big economic idea. Right, right. And we're overdue for it. I don't think yeah. Bernie has it. I don't think Bernie has that new economic uh, idea, that new comprehensive idea that's going to take us into the next 40 years. But I do think he's asking the right questions and mm-hmm. he is cultivating the political will required in order to transform. Yeah, that's right for me. Like, right. yeah, regardless of the candidate, I, I, I'm pretty clear that we need radical change and i don't even not necessarily knowing well what will that actually look like i don't know that's what we're figuring out together but if we're not like asking radical questions and, and fully embracing something transformative then it's not going to be good that's that's where we're at like when you say overdue like we're totally at the like overdue everything we've been doing before is just not working mm-hmm. like it's not working that's how how much how much of not working do we need to have before we just acknowledge it and say well it's scary we're going forward because we don't know what it's going to look like, but we know that what, what we've done in the past is no longer serving us. Whereas in the past it did, you know, like making reference to like Democrats being more centrist in the past. Well, that was skillful at that time. Mm-hmm. Sucks now. Like right. it's just clear that it's just like, no way. Get out of town. Um, you know what I would love? To be honest, a home run for me would be uh, whoever gets the, the primary ticket for Democrats. One of the other candidates is the vice president. Yeah, no, I, like, I, that, that would like, be a good I just, unity like, move. It would be so huge. It would be unifying. It would be. It would just be a double down, you know? Sanders and, Buttigieg uh, is the way to go. Look, That's what can, people have been you, saying. I've, I've been saying, I assume my friends said the same thing. I would totally be uh, excited about a, a Sanders Buttigieg ticket. But I'd Buttigieg is with, such a neoliberal and rich people like him. And he, well, good, good. He's, he's, That's what you I want. Know. If you're going to transform a system, you have to know how to talk to those people. Right. And what I like about Buttigieg too, is he's young, which sort of balances out the fact that, you know, Bernie is like 143 years old. Yeah, I I think Bernie was actually on like a coin. (laughs) He probably, it it wouldn't surprise that used to chisel his face in coins. Yeah. I would take, I mean, again, I would take a more than uh, Buttigieg as a VP in there, but I just, I'm going to be attracted to the candidates talking in very, very new ways. Um, And I'm going to be part of I'm going to be attracted to the candidate. And again, I think that it's either Bernie or Warren here who can return the Democratic Party to blue-collar workers, Mm -hmm. right? That is what needs to happen. We need to, you know, this was the thing about Elizabeth Warren that pissed me off. I mean, and I saw this in the Bill Maher show where she did something like, uh, you know, my next, uh, my nominee for the Department of Education is going to get vetted by this high school trans student. Mm. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Look, I'm not saying that's not important. Like trans rights are important and all that, but same thing with Bernie saying, yeah. day one, I'm going to get rid of fracking. Day one, you're going to lose Pennsylvania. Good job, buddy. There's certain things you mm. don't make a day one issue because it's yeah. not skillful means. That's true. And if- that would be interesting to see what, what the skillful means will turn out to be. Yeah, but I, I was similar with like Warren and some of the things she's doing. It's like, again, she's got a lot of progressive agenda that I really like. And, and uh, she was uh, tied for me for quite a while there but sometimes she just leans a little bit too, too much towards like i remember when she did that commercial for her um 
genealogy. Mm-hmm. And I felt like one of those things of like playing into Trump's hands. Cause it's yeah. just like, and just what did he say when he got done? He was like, he, he just did that classic Trump thing. He's like, who cares? What? I don't remember asking that. It was just like, so like his typical thing that would be like, if you were in a relationship with that kind of person, it would be infuriating. You want to punch him in the face, but we like, you knew he was going to do that. So I'm like, why, why do that? Don't do yep. that. Because the left always allows the right to, to, to frame the Overton window. It's like be big, just be bigger than that. Don't play that game. Yeah. Be know? bold. Like maybe so. bring out a little bit of boldness, which again is the reason I like, I like Sanders. The guy. That's part of why I, 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 I'm going to be entertained by the, 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 the debates. If it was like Sanders and, and Trump, it's going to be the most old man off ever. Uh, here's, here's my question, dude. <laughs> if Bernie wins the nomination and it's yeah. down to Bernie versus Trump, yep. who does CNN want to win? I don't know. I'm, I'm like tired of media in a lot of ways. I am too, but I, th- I mean, that's this a good is, question. This, I, th- I think CNN looks at Trump and they're like, okay, this guy brings us a lot of ratings. But he's do, like really bad for, you know, the country. They do have some articles every once in a while I see where like opinion articles from people who are way more conservative than I would expect to be a, allowed on CNN because they normally come off as like very liberal. And so I got, I got a little confused recently. I'm like, why is this one person on here? No, no, no. See, CNN is not overly liberal. CNN plays the quote, true neutral ground. They, they are the false equivalence network. That's I what see. CNN does really, really well. I don't really follow in that much detail, but like, in, I tend to see more articles that lean towards in the last year or so that lean more towards a little, but that makes sense. So, I mean, this, right. this runs us into the problem where it's like, you know, Bernie, they're going to look at Bernie. A lot of these journalists are going to look at Bernie and they're like, you know, I, I, I like Bernie as a human being. I, yeah. you know, but you know, our corporate bottom line is going to suffer because of this guy. Right. So versus, and that's why I think that makes sense. I think that's why back in the media against Bernie right now. Yeah. And for, yeah, that, that's what like put it over the edge. Like I, I really haven't been that radical in terms of like boycotting media or anything like that, but I just, it's more of like, I got, I'm just done, just done. I'm like, I don't care one way or another. I'm like that. It's like kind of the ignoring of Trump. Like if Trump was like, wanted to say something that's just so stupid, like the things he was saying about Warren and her genealogy, it's just like, I'm ignoring that. Like, mm-hmm. There's nothing in that for me to do that. And, and same thing with the media. It's like, I think we just all have to be done being manipulated by media. Just be done. I'm like, I don't care what CNN's saying. I don't care. We, like, I don't we, care what CNN's saying. I don't care what New York Times saying. I don't care what any of the media people are saying. We got to be bigger than that. Like we have to take it back. And then, and then when they get the message that we're tired of the bullshit, then they're going to have to adjust themselves. Can I, can I, can I, can I level yeah. that up one? Yeah. Because I think we need to continue paying attention to the media. But we need to not allow ourselves to be so mediated. That's fine. That's a better, more nuanced way of saying it. I agree. That's that would be more accurate for me. Because because this is what happens when we live in <laughs> yeah. a in a in a space that I don't want to go to fake. And, I don't want to be fake news. But you know, it's funny. I think Vince tweeted the other day, like uh, that New York Times was acting in a way, like with Bernie, where it's not so much whether you like Bernie or not Bernie, but the way they were reporting on him was like fake news-ish. And, he, and I think Vince had said, like, it's no wonder that someone like Trump will say that because he goes way overboard. Yep. But then there's going to be a kernel of truth that I can even see into it. So it's like, dude, we got to like stop being, we have to be much clearer and yep. have more integrity. Otherwise, yeah. we got to get, get away from fake news and head towards true but partial news. That would be better. Yeah. Yep. Well, well, dude, we probably said a lot of shit that has... Uh, are you yeah, excited people or, or yeah, or, I'm wondering or, who we or lit the torches. <laughs> and uh, but uh, I don't know if there's any 
are we opening up for anything? Are we going to wrap it up? No, I actually got to get, uh, I got to get, Oh, you got to go. Today. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I will let you know if any bricks get thrown my, through my window. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yes. Let me do. Let me know if any digital bricks get thrown. I tell you though, it's, it's, it's a fun part about living. I moved from Boulder to Longmont and I find Longmont just to be a generally more sane place to live. And I think there's an equation somewhere. I think that, um, a good town is going to have X number of Trump supporters in it. That's what I think. <laughs> That's really interesting. And B Boulder had like, you know, 1% Trump supporters oh. and it's just like, yeah. yeah, yeah and then yeah, Longmont's yeah. like, Oh no, we've, we've, you know, every it's a little a weekend you drive down main street and on one side you've got anti-Trump protesters, a, a little group of like 15 of them. And then pro Trump protesters, More. a little group of like 15 of them kind of in the mix, you know, yeah, looking at each Nashville's other. like that where there's I'm more like, of a mix. This yeah. is a cool town, man. This yeah, is enfoldment. Yeah. This is messy, gritty enfoldment, and I fucking love it. I'm with you on it. All right, buddy. <laughs> hey, man. Well, that was fun. We'll see uh, where things go. Yeah, man. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll check in next month and sort of see where, where, the, where the landscape is and uh, maybe where so, we're heading. Sounds good. All right, man. It was good to talk to you. Okay, good to talk to you. All right, buddy. Okay, bye.